You're listening to the Deadly Uncle Podcast. A safe space for Deadly Uncle Conversations. All right, next up on the Deadly Uncle Podcast, we have Alec Carton. Who is also known as Ali Tapaquan. Now, Ali is an Nahio man and an African man. His ancestors come from both Saskatchewan and Ethiopia. And he is dedicated to the revitalization of indigenous ceremonies, languages, and ancestral ways of living. And recently, he's also becoming a deadly hunter. A guy who likes going into the bush and also training the youth and sharing that knowledge and i think it's wonderful he's a very talented man and he's got a lot of ideas and beautiful things coming for the future and his- say uh dance it's really nice to really nice to be here greetings everyone uh um hello everyone my name is ali tapakwan i'm actually from carry the kettle my mother is Heather Tapaquan. Our family is Nehio or Cree by blood. And then my father, uh, my late father, is Dawad Muhammad, who's, who was from Ethiopia. And he immigrated uh, here to Turtle Island in about the late 19, uh, sorry, like early 1980s. So he met my mom in Regina. And hey, well, you know how Regina was. I mean, you can imagine like early 80s, like late 90s. Holy, people are talking smack about Winnipeg and Regina now. Woo! <laughs> the internet, I can't even imagine what it was like. Um, so that's what it was. It was like, a, it was a street love story. You know, you add it all in. The the violence, the the feels, the the police, the system. It's the res life uh, in a way. And so, and so that's where I come from. Um, I was born in Regina in 1995, so I'm 27 years old. Um, I spent a lot of time with my uh, my sister Fatima. Um, we obviously have the same parents. Her and I were a unit. She's my older sister. She's one year older than me. And um, you know, I always I always like to mention this part of my story when I introduce myself because my sister is a big part of it, especially in the beginning because. As, uh, as her and I were, you know, bouncing around the streets with my mom in a stroller, going to different places, just trying to figure it out, we'd get apprehended by child family services on and off. We'd be in different places, different systems, different care. And, you know, I was just a baby, man. Like, I was a lot. I was just a baby, right? A one-year-old, just, just like as much of a deadly uncle I like to think I am. I was a small <laughs> uncle. I'm one years old, right? I'm not deadly. So it was a deadly auntie. I really just like took care of me by way of my sister, you know, and she was the one that watched out for me in the beginning, you know, even though she was only what, like four inches taller than me, you know, she was my older sister and she, uh, she really watched out for me. And so her and I were eventually, um, were eventually apprehended by child family services full time and then shipped out to Edmonton actually to a foster home when I was uh, four years old and she was five years old. So, um, you know, I, I can't I can't speak to what it felt like then, but I know what it's like now looking back almost 20, 20, 22, 25 years later and just having the blood memory of just being ripped out, ripped from family and culture and homeland, like literally by your roots and then transplanted in, in a different place. And looking back, I'm glad it was Edmonton because, oh, it's still good Cree territory. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, eh? <laughs> that way, that way. And so we ended up there. Um, I was four years old. She was five years old. 
And then uh, really the next chapter is um, when her and I were both adopted by John and Pam Carton. And my name was changed from Alu Tapakwan to Alu Carton, which is the name that, uh, that I still carry and use and a name that uh, you folks would know me by too. Yes, a, yes. Quick snapshot of my origin story. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Like I can't imagine, you know, I think you almost got... Uh, a sense of what it feels like, you know, um, with our ancestors, you know, like I feel like a lot of people that are are taken away from their families um, and put into foster care, sometimes you're lucky enough to end up in a good home and sometimes not. And, you know, I think that uh, you have a sense of, of what that would feel like, you know, our ancestors going to the residential school. And so, what was your um, feelings towards, um, or were you exposed at all to any culture or anything about uh, who you are? You know, not only from your indigenous side, but you know, from all sides that you come from. That way, that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I, I felt like I was introduced to, and like people came into my life, and like things were said to me, but no seeds really started to sprout until I was about eighteen. So let's say like 10 years ago. I got a question yeah. for you. Um, you said you were born in Regina. What hospital were you born in? I believe it was the Royal Alexander. Oh, see, I was born in the Pasqua Hospital. Mine too. In 1975, yeah. it was still an Indian hospital back then. Oh, so okay. I was just wondering, you know, just, just to see if it had changed by the time you were born. My brain went off in a tangent. I apologize. <laughs> oh, no, that's that's really good to know. I appreciate that because your family is from out that way too, right? From Kawasis, yeah. From Kawasis. Yeah, I know there's some Tapaquans actually up in Kawasis. We might be related is what I'm saying. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. We're yeah. all related in some way. Yeah, yeah. If we're from Saskatchewan, there's a good yeah. chance. There's a good chance. <laughs> Future marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, like I have a few cousins that are living on on uh, Kauzis from Gordon's First Nation, so yeah, we're related in many different ways. That's for sure. So when I see when I um when I first seen your presentation, uh, that was actually um, at a was it Suncor or one of the uh, one of the um, the oil companies, I believe. Can you tell us a bit about? how you got into that position at that time when you brought me in to uh, come in and perform, which I thank you for as well. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what that was about? And I, I can't quite put everything together. I, I know I'm leaving a lot out, but tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So 15 years ago, a child was born. <laughs> another origin story hey, hey this is gonna be a good podcast you know this is uh this is a really good point actually for me just to kind of slide into like a little bit of entrepreneurship um it's really important to also talk about personal decolonization like along the lines of of work too i found um because uh what you're talking about was a really critical time for me uh in my life actually because this would have been about four years ago, um, I had a contract with an oil and gas company because they had uh, kind of plucked me out of school to come be an intern. Um, and so I had a woman who was indigenous um, and she was 
my mentor, like quote unquote, and she was the one who was supposed to kind of open up my eyes to see this is what the world is. And then this is how you could potentially make a, uh, make a difference, whether that's like in business here or in business elsewhere. And I'll be honest, I like, I bought in, like this made sense to me. I thought that, you know what, if I am out of poverty, if I can help shift the dial for people, if I can help work within the system, how many times did I say work within the system? Like in the last, I don't know, I just removed that completely from my vocabulary. So it was interesting. I come from the streets. I, uh, like I survived fentanyl addiction when I was 16 to 18 years old. Um, I initially got addicted to fentanyl when I was 17. I was going to St. Francis High School here in Calgary. Um, life just went downhill for a lot of years, you know? Not a lot of our people make it back from fentanyl addiction. It seems like I hear of like one person every every month. And I'm telling you, when I was doing this, this was, this was before there was car fentanyl. Like you guys think you're, like I'm feeling ancient now watching the car <laughs> fentanyl come out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so like where I, where I came from, um, you know, leaving the residential school, like home that I was brought up in to then being addicted to substances, specifically fentanyl, um, and just ways of thinking. I was a mess until about 20, until about 20. Yeah. Uh, 17 to 20 were high speed years for me. I don't know how I managed to do as much as I did without meth. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, like I was I was out living in Vancouver. I was homeless for a time there, sleeping underneath the tree in Victoria Park. Uh, going through withdrawals on fentanyl was the worst. Like if you've ever been addicted to opioids, then you know exactly what that feeling is like. Um, and my life was just so dark, so lost, so empty and and poor, right? Like poverty across all boards, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically, all aspects of the medicine wheel in all directions. Um, I managed to get my shit together by going to treatment. I initially went to Simon House Recovery Center for Men when I was um, 19 years old. So this would have been uh, eight years ago. And uh, yeah, I've been clean off of like hard substances and, and drugs like that, like ever since then. And it's just seems like a completely different time and like who I was. But the key thing is that after treatment and after I really uh, began to heal begin my healing or continue my healing, like spiritually and emotionally. Then like after a couple of years, I was like, okay, now maybe it's time to take the next step. And so I was like, oh, the next step is like business is cool. But then boom, I fell in love and then boom, all of a sudden there I am, I've got a new girlfriend. And so this woman was actually, um, she was Azteca from Mexico. So she was indigenous from Mexico. And uh, she was here on like this uh, kind of like tourist visa long story short fast forward we fell in love i end up liquidating all of my assets which at the time was like two guitars and an extra pair of socks <laughs> <laughs> that's a great song <laughs> two guitars and an extra pair of socks there you go <laughs> looks at me because uh, it sounds like a country tune <laughs> that's one for saskatchewan i i like that Hey, and so that was interesting. And um, I mean, it changed my life living in a different country. We were living in Cancun down in the Yucatan. We were living in central 
Mexico, like amongst the locals, people think that I'm Spanish. I'm learning Spanish, dancing Spanish, speaking just uh, la gente amongst la gente. So uh, people amongst the people is how I felt. And everyone thought I was Latino. They're like, oh, you're speaking Spanish. You're doing all this stuff. I'm like, no, no, no soy Latino. Like, that is indigenous. Like, I'm, I'm indigenous. They're like, what is that? They're like, what? They looked at me and they're like, what are you? <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm an indigenous creature. <laughs> now you're like, you know, cowboys? I was the Indian. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, fast forward since then, I, I spent like a little under five months in Mexico. Um, the relationship and the white sand, you name it, it was paradise. Like I, it was at that point that I, I really helped heal because I, I began to understood then that life could actually be good in a lot of ways and it could be better than I had ever possibly imagined. So that was a turning point. I came back from Mexico and um, my heart was on fire. I was alive with life. And so I was like, what's the next boom, like thing to do? It was to go to school. And so I signed up for the Bow Valley College Diploma, uh, the Bow Valley Business Diploma uh, Program um, through Bow Valley College. It was a great program. Um, but that is when I got pulled into business and the first internship at Chevron, which was at oil and gas company. And so at this time, I was definitely still like in my healing. I was coming to a good place. I was just younger, you know, more mature than I am now still, still figuring it out. And so um, I ended up working at that company as an intern. Uh, and basically my job was to basically find like businesses around the reserve and then try and bring them in to do operations, whatever that could be. So that could be um, like making roads, that could be cutting down trees. And then I was just like, this is horrible. <laughs> I was just like, this is a fucking nightmare. And I was just like, and I was so, I felt like my handcuffs were cuffed a little bit because I didn't have any support. I didn't have any family. I come from poverty. I didn't have a job. I was in school. I had a rent. I was going to this job. They were paying me like $24 an hour. So it wasn't bad, but it also wasn't enough to like make it. And I just like, I felt like I had nowhere to go. I felt like I had handcuffs on and I wasn't able to quit because of the relationship and the place we had and it's like my bills and this and that. But I knew that every single day that I was there, um, I was encountering racism. People were like, and it just it got slowly worse. Like I was toxic, bright eyed, yeah. just so toxic, man. Like I was bright eyed for the first few months. And then I realized like, shit, I felt like I was in MMA. I was like, someone's got me in like a chokehold and I can't, I can't move. Like I can't move. Yeah. In That's impossible to work like that. Totally. Yeah. I can, I can, uh, I can totally understand that. Let's take a quick breather. Yeah. So let, shut my phone he's going to just shut his phone off. It keeps binging away here real quick. And this isn't live. We're going to cut this. So these are all pre-recorded. Um, but yeah, I got a couple of questions here for you uh, once we get going. Awesome. So good. How's, dude, guess what? I'm in Edmonton today, too. You're in Edmonton? Oh, wow. Well, no way. I'll be in Edmonton later today at like eight or nine. Oh, yeah. What are you up to? I'm going to, I'm going down to Paul Band First Nation where we're helping them out with Bill C92. Okay. That's about children in foster care, actually. No way. 
Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. so crazy. Well, that kind of leads me uh, to my next question. I'm just wondering, um, do you, uh, did you ever have any connection um, with uh, your family from back home after being adopted? And secondly, how is your relationship now with your sister? How is she doing? Where is she living? All those type of things. Mm, Tapwe, I'm really glad you're asking, actually, because uh, a couple people have actually been asking in the last week. And that's interesting because usually no one asks me, like for months. Um, you know what? I would love to say that it's just like, yep, this is the Indigenous love story. Shit worked out, blah, blah, blah. But I'll just tell you, it's no on both fronts. Um, and here's kind of the story of, of why. <clears throat> the last message that I got from uh, from my mother, Heather Tapaquan, um, <laughs> I just have to laugh because it's so native sometimes. It's like she used like a friend's account and then was like, hey, it's Heather, by the way. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so it's like, I get a message from Maurice and I'm like, because Maurice, right? <laughs> and it turns out that it's Heather. And so um, her and I had reconnected, let's say about reconnected again, um, about a year ago. Um, and at this time, I had hoped she was like in a healthy place um, so that we could meet for the first time in 22 years, talk sit down, share space. I have no expectations. I'm not saying you need to be my mother now, but you know what I mean? I have a story, you have a story. Um, and so about a year and a half ago, things were good for just like a, a minute, about a week, you know? Like she texted me and she was like, hey, like, I just wanna let you know, I hope you have a good day. And I'd be like, thanks. And I And this was the first time I could actually say in my life, like, thanks mom, right? And be like, that's what it was. Unfortunately, she comes from a, it's just like her, um, she comes from a hard background, right? So she's been very Christianized, you know, she had to find the path for her own survival as an Indigenous woman and, and that's where she landed. And so I'm quite the opposite of that, quite anti actually. Um, and so that led to basically her denouncing me, um, her, uh, just extreme lateral violence and like and i mean if we're coming from the res and you know it it's like i wish you were never born your existence was a mistake you know you're horrible and i was like okay like i can take some of this but now like being a an aspiring deadly uncle like being a more healed healthy human more full being i realize what boundaries i can have in my life and like how how important those positive ones are um and so I had to set a boundary and just say, you know what, like this lateral violence isn't okay in my life until you're in a place where we can communicate in a good way, you know, with language and good intention, I got to shut the door. And so I haven't heard from her since I'm expecting another message, like in six months, she reminded me that I'm worthless. Um, but even, even the best thing is, is that when that happens, I call up my friend and then he's like, oh, yeah, I just got the same message from, like, my auntie from, like, two weeks ago. And it's just, like, it happens to all of us. And there's no shame in talking about it. It happens yeah. a lot more than we think, right? The lateral violence. Yeah. It's okay to talk about. And so that's the story of uh, of my mother. Did you want – do you have any more questions before I tell about my sister or 
no no that's uh yeah that's that's pretty much what i was wondering is just if you had any contact with any of your family yeah I, your before you get in with your sister when you guys went into foster care were you both adopted into the same family and did you or did you get separated in foster care we were both adopted into the same family that's awesome okay Cool. keep going i was just wondering because my parents have been involved in foster care for over 30 years they they were the only indigenous foster home in edmonton so i've seen a lot of kids split up and you guys are just lucky that you had each other so absolutely absolutely yeah. and my sister that's just like uh always get emotional um thinking and reminding myself of where she is and where she's at because now looking back i really see that as like she really like protected and guarded me like in the very beginning under first five years right and there's different psychological points that like talk about the first five years of your life being like some of the most critical she was the one who was there and then now it's almost like it was almost like she's like stayed there in a sense and because now she's 28 but i know it's just like you i just like she's taken a lot of damage you know, and it's just mm. it breaks my heart. And I know, and I'm just like, I'm eternally grateful to her for how she shielded me as a youth. And it's just like what she went through too. And I like, as a deadly uncle, it's just another testament to, to our deadly aunties, you know, and it's like the unconditional love that our relatives, especially the woman in our lives have for us, you know? And so where's my sister now? We haven't talked for about a year. Uh, there's another boundary in their place. I'm not going to say that about a year and a half ago, it was just her that needed healing. I was going through some specific family, individual growth that made our whole thing a little ugly too. So we both kind of stepped away and um, and uh, we're looking forward to, to kind of like when that reconnects. And the last thing I'll share on that is something important from my therapist who's, who's also Indigenous because she talks about self-harm. And when I, I told her about my mom coming into my life and leaving, not once, not twice, not three times, but 11 times. My sister kind of doing the same thing. Um, <clears throat> it's important to know what our hearts can handle. You know, it's important to know that we as spiritual beings are not yo-yos and to honor that and respect that in a good way. So um, I really focus on the relationships in my life that that are with my family, like my Adeda and Elder Tom Snow or, or my aunties or my uncles. Um, and my relatives and, and good bros like you, other uncles. <laughs> That's, That's amazing, man. Wow. That's uh, that's a really uh, powerful story. And uh, I thank you for sharing that. And I'm just wondering what, um, what led you um, to the spiritual side of things and um, how did you get there? And going through everything that you've gone through, were, were there any um, men's programs that were available for you? Great question. Um, great question. Absolutely. I, um, where to start spiritual path? Um, I, I like the way that I've seen it happen, like with my family, with me and with a lot of other relatives too. So I feel we're, we've always been on the spiritual path. We were just, sometimes we were taken off and then like blindfolded so that we didn't know what was going on. That's why I've always felt, because I always felt like there was something deeper 
in life, which I then under began to understand through ceremony, through Nahiawin, like our Cree language, and then like eventually, but earlier on in life, I wasn't aware of, of that type of stuff. Um, so when did it change? When did like I, yeah, I was probably around 19 years old when I made the commitment to, uh, to stop doing alcohol, to stop doing drugs, to uh, find a spiritual path just based on spiritual principles. Back then, my principles weren't based on our Nehio principles and teachings. Now they are. Uh, but that was kind of the beginning. Men's programs that helped. Wow. So there are definitely different programs that help at different times. Um, like, I'm not going to throw shade at 12-step programs. Like, I am critical for sure and with good reason, I believe. But I'm not going to say that they did not help me when I needed help right? Like when I was at a very low place, <clears throat> men's treatment center, I drew the line at going to like a Christian men's treatment center. Like I think there's one in Calgary called, I can't even remember what it's called. I knew it was Christian based, but just because of the residential school, like upbringing that I had, it wasn't a safe place for me to be. Like I would, um, I would just cease to exist. Just, <laughs> yeah. So I set some boundaries for myself there, which I think is important because we begin to see and find where we are meant to be. And at that place, like I was supposed to be at Simon's uh, Simon House Recovery Center for men. Um, and it wasn't a bad place to start off because uh, they gave you your your own bed to sleep in. You had one full size and it was all yours. And no one else's. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's amazing because like a lot of the men that we speak to, um just didn't have access to to men's programming so to hear that uh there was you know this um place where you could you know have your own bed um is pretty amazing yeah when you made the decision to go to treatment how how did that process work like where did you first go like for people out there that that are maybe thinking about that's the path they want to go on how do you get that started that's a really good point um there is something called a turnkey system and a turnkey system means that if you put in the key and turn it it opens up everything and basically that's what detox was for me to the recovery life like i literally just dragged myself to detox i was disgusting right but still beautiful in very much the same way and uh in detox like i didn't know what was going on housing this and that but if you go to detox they'll take care of you from there. They'll ask about housing. They'll be like, do you have long-term? Do you need short-term? Um, and then I found for me, the key word was door to door. I told them, I was like, I need to go from the Renfrew door to the Simon House door. Like I can't, um, I can't be trusted out there left to my own devices because shit was deadly. <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's a good point because um i worked as a housing outreach worker for six years here in edmonton and a lot of people don't realize that you know there is housing supports at a lot of different turns like when you go to detox when you go to say hope mission or bissell or boyle street they all have housing teams there that can help you get connected to services that can, you know, start that path for you to get out of the situation you're in. Halfway. No, I love hearing that. 
And that's good that you drop some of those organization names. Those are all in Edmonton, right? Yeah, those are all Edmonton organizations. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I should say Homeward Trust because that's who I worked for. And they pretty much handle all they divvy out all the money in YEG to all the smaller organizations to battle homelessness. So they're like the they they control like the um it's called the buy names list. So when you're when you're experiencing homelessness and you want to get help, you have to get on this list. And then they do an acuity thing with you, like what kind of uh, barriers do you have and that type of thing. So they'll put you in different sections, like you'll be in an intensive case management, say, or assertive community treatment or rapid rehousing, that type of thing. They kind of try and funnel you into the right program so they can help you along the way. So. It's actually a really good organization. Yes, good to know. Good to know for the listeners out there as well. You know, I, I think it's important that we shine light on these, uh, you know, programs for men because a lot of times men don't, you know, know what where to look or I- even if we should, how, how we start. And I believe that, you know, putting the, like you said, putting the key in the lock and opening the door is the first step, you know. Well, I think fear is probably a big, stumbling block for a lot of people in addiction and that are you know indigenous because they have been confronted with systemic racism their whole lives so they're so used to hearing no that they're afraid to ask somebody for help you know that's how i see it from my experience as a housing outreach worker that's what i experience with my clients yeah yeah for sure so i i i seen on your um on your feed there that you've been hunting a lot. Um, tell us about uh, your hunting journey and and where did you when did you start hunting and uh, you know get into uh, talk about you know. footwear because I took Kurt hunting and he had these he had these shoes that I don't know they they shouldn't have been worn in the bush. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so tell us about proper hunting attire first. Of all. I, have, I have to give the shout out to Kurt's like biggest style. Yeah. <laughs> I'm betting you they were Converse. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you know I'm actually really glad that you asked about hunting um, because I I feel that hunting for and I'll say uncles and say, and also say all our, all our relations. So important. It's so important. Um, for me, I didn't even realize that it was within my name. Um, so you're going to see that my last name is <clears throat> Tapaquan, but you see how it's spelled at the end Q U O N. That's because of like the French influence on our Cree language, the way that I would, and that's technically like how it was legally done was spelled like Tapaquan. I would spell it T A P A. Uh, K-W, A with the Macron, and then N, Tapaquan. And so if you Google that, what that actually means in our uh, Cree and Plains Y dialect is to snare or to trap. And so Sorry. when I... <laughs> <laughs> My punchline! I got this whole sacred line. Sorry, I'm, I'm a <laughs> my, my family has this name because we've been the best trappers of aunties and uncles all our lives no i am glad that you braided it together <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, uh, it was important because i was like it's in my name and then i was just like 
dog, your family has been doing this for generations. I was like, you're late to the game. And that's when I like, I snapped into, I snapped into biz. And so about three and a half years ago, I started training um, archery. So crossbow, um, recurve bow, as well as compound bow. And so I mastered all of those, like being able to shoot at the ranges that I wanted to shoot at and be able to hit the targets. I haven't yet gotten a moose, a bear, or like bigger game with a recurve bow, but that's basically the goal is to go back to the traditional bow on horseback, be hunting like our ancestors did. Um, that's badass. I support that. That's Who doesn't? Great. Wow. <laughs> For sure, Cause, right? Because a moose is not something to mess around with. Like, yeah, I, I've shot a moose and I went into the bush and didn't take a bullet with me, and the moose wasn't dead, and we had to send somebody back to get a bullet and the moose like was it's scary man like if you wound an animal and you have no way to defend yourself it's a very scary situation you know thank goodness nobody was hurt the moose didn't suffer long but um yeah it i all all due respect on bow hunting because i don't think i could do it like you got to get up close and personal with those animals and that takes a lot of courage for sure Ed top way and it's funny because you know like bow hunting like i imagine everyone thinks of it as like you know you're in moccasins just like feathers we're doing a tree stand bro uh, it's like you sit in a tree all morning and wait for the animal to come within range okay <laughs> like it's not yeah. as glorious are you baiting the animal hey there's a question <laughs> <laughs> Do you have um, walkie-talkies? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, like also, I know some redneck hunters. Sorry, I'm just... Uh... <laughs> no, that's good, actually. I'm going to follow up with you later because I, I want to know more hunting areas around Edmonton. So more to come. Um, yeah, hunting, it was important. So I realized, holy, hunting is a lot of work. Most oh, of it is in pre-work. Like The biggest thing is finding out where you can hunt. Is that the reserve? Is that the type of land? Figuring out what kind of game is on the land, right? Are we talking big game? Are we talking small game? What are trails looking like? What are paths? Where's the water sources? That took me a long time. Like I put in tens of thousands of kilometers on the road, basically all here in like Treaty 7, Treaty 6, just scouting these different areas, talking to hunters, talking with different natives. Um, and I use an app called iHunter. It's $10 a year. You can use iHunter. It gives you the legal boundaries for like, Oh, that's the, awesome. Exactly. Highly recommended. Um, so yeah, I uh, started doing that and then boom, got my pal. So I did my firearms course, of course, did not send in the application for like six months after I did it because <laughs> every good native does that. <laughs> and then I got my pal and then I and then I got hunting. So I usually hunt with a 270. Um, I also have a a semi-automatic 22 with a scope that I use for game birds. I just don't like shotguns. I think there's too much lead that goes shooting out there or, or whatever metal. Um, so 22s, 270 for big game. Um, now my biggest thing is really just about sharing, um, just like teaching the skills, teaching the knowledge. I actually got a bighorn sheep about a month and a half ago in the Kananaskis. So it was late in the evening successfully harvested a bighorn sheep. I was alone as well, but because I know like the process and the safety protocol, I was able to make it happen. So that was good. Um, and then now, like, I don't know what happened. I guess I just kept a low profile, but then all of a sudden 
oh, I was a hunter. And people are like, dude, you're a hunter. And I'm like, really? I just thought I was like a bro that like chills in the bush with like a gun. Like, <laughs> hunting. You know what I mean? And then I realized like, my eyes were opened. I was like, shoot, like so many. And like now I put in like a little bit of language. Like after I harvest all my meat, I always write the name of the animal in Cree. I'll try and say where it came from and the language on the package, just like for my own stuff. But I realized like a lot of our friends and relatives don't know how to hunt because those teachings yeah. were never passed down to them. And so that's where I find myself today is, uh, yeah, like, of course, I do a lot of hunting to share with community. Uh, but my biggest joy is bringing people out there, especially youth, teaching them about gun safety, showing them like how to see how old a track is, um, watching their face when they see an animal and a potential shot. They're like, you can just see like them change and they're so happy. Right. And um yeah hunting is one of my biggest joys the land is medicine so when you um when you go hunting most times are you on your own or do you go with people like when you're not teaching um i usually try and go with somebody just because um it's safer that way but a thousand yeah. percent i just sometimes swing by somewhere see if i can pick up the quick deal <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'll just happen to shoot an elk when i drive by here but uh yeah, do you, do you like camping out there do you like camping out there or just kind of getting in and out or do you spend a few days out there how do you how do you like doing it i like camping out there full time like i like to leave early early in the morning camp out like four or five kilometers but it really just depends on what you're hunting you know yeah um, but summertime um like this summer i actually had some brothers and we went out and we we hiked and then we made a big fire. We had all our rifles. We had smudge. Um, and we just like, we just chilled, you know, just the yeah, that's cool. boys. Yeah. Yeah. Off path, eh? <laughs> good way. The Cree way. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. So tell us about, you said that you're coming up uh, to Paul Band. Um, tell us what are you doing now? What is your career and what is your focus for the next, you know, your future, I guess. For your life. Yeah. Not your whole life, but <laughs> near future. Yeah. Holy. It's like, I'm in crisis now. No. Yeah. <laughs> we better. That's what. what Too much uh, pressure. That's what yeah. one of our, we, we do have to provide. We will be providing a crisis line on a real note. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call it. That's a good question. So, <clears throat> so like um, my formula right now and like what I've been taught and what I've come to learn. Um, and this is just what I'm using right now, not saying it's going to be the rest of my life. I like to use um, like a dual approach. Some people call it like a two eyed approach. So I always see my life. There's the contemporary part. And for me, that's school, that's business, that's like my interests, my training, things like that. And then there's the ancestral component. And for me, that's spirit, language, songs, families, ceremonies. And so I'm always trying to build up my life to make sure that they're balanced, but also make sure that the ancestral ceremonial side is always going up more than the other. And so I'm always trying to elevate that one. And so I started a business about uh, three years ago. It was after I said, you to that oil and gas company and just left. Um, I started a business and it was definitely one of the most challenging kind of like nerve wracking things that I've ever done. 
because initially I started it because there were tax benefits. I was a business student. I knew that if I owned a corporation, I could write off certain, uh, like I could write off rent, mileage, utilities, internet, clothing, food. I could get a lot of uh, like savings. I think we need to talk after and you can help me too. <laughs> hey, potentially actually, because that's part of the vision. Yeah. Um, and so, and so I started doing that and then I began to get clients. And so if you go to our website, www.tataga.ca, tatanga.ca, you'll see that we work with uh, organizations really like across, across the country. I don't know what happened, but somehow my business is like actually a thing now. Um, Lululemon is one of our clients. We've done work with Google. I'm chilling on like a board of directors somewhere. And I'm like, how did, how did all of this happen? Just like for a kid from the system who, who went through what I went through, what I went through somehow, like it worked and it don't get me wrong. Like I, I work a lot, like a lot. Um, but at the same time, the right people came into my place because everything that like I have and did, none of it was done alone. You know, it was all done with community friends and relatives. And so now I've got a really successful indigenous management consulting business. And so the business approaches business the same way that I approach my life. Like for the contemporary part, we contribute to clean energy research for the ancestral part. Me and my cousin, like we go do drumming and singing gigs. Um, you know, we do drum making, we do bow making. Um, and so really like moving forward this business. And so now that like business is successful, I feel that, and I mean, like it's successful to the point where um, it's like, I have more than what I need and I have enough to share. Um, and so, and so now it's about sharing the gifts. Like I feel in a way I was able to break like literal and metaphorical chains of poverty because I know what it was like to work in a job, in a system and to be handcuffed. And so I have um, like at Tatanga Inc. And this is kind of like my last, my last spiel. Um, our focus now and our vision is our home fire social entrepreneurship classes, because at the end of the day, like, although I'm a business owner and stuff, I'm an artist, I'm a singer, I'm a dancer, like I'm a linguist. It's like, I'm a, I'm a qualitative person. It's like, I'm about feelings. I don't like numbers. You know what I mean? That's me at yeah. heart. And I realized that like all of the people who I like, I jam with in my life are the same people, homies like you, like yeah. you folks <laughs> You're my target market because somehow there's different technologies, systems, artificial intelligence, strategies, strategic approaches that can be used like from a business way to take podcasts, artists, dancers, beaters, and to help them actually. And I just believe it's not even like change the world. It's just like to let's start with being equi like equitably compensated for your time. Like I'm mean, so many beaters. At the end of the day, their product sells for six hundred or something, but they only made like fourteen dollars an hour, like that, yeah. is, right? And so, and so, our masterclass is is focused on that. It's broken into four parts. The first one is starting your business, legal structure, where and how you're going to do it. The second one is business technology bundle. Let's look at the different technology that people are using there to elevate their business. The third one is creative growth strategy let's work together to like actually build a vision. And I always tell people, whoever your clients are, those clients are going to impact your lifestyle and your mental health. So choose good clients. Don't just, don't just take money when it comes. Yeah. And then of course the last segment is, uh, is money is medicine. 
you know, like now that we have these tools, how can we grow money? How can we see um, money as like a garden? And between us, homies, I'm going to scrap that because I don't like the idea of money as medicine. I'm like, <laughs> money might be able to be used for good, but money as medicine is a bit close. If you know what I'm saying, yeah. But I, I yeah, my I girlfriend get, used I get, to say money was the root of all evil. Yeah, I get, I get, <laughs> where, you, I get where you're going with it, though. I get where yeah, you're, yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's important to uh, value yourself. Start to look at yourself with value, and and I think that that's that's important. And even time, because that is the one thing that you can never get back is time. Yeah, you know. Sure. That's what I've been learning a lot in my projects of late, that if you can find somebody to hire to do something that's going to take you a bunch of time, it's worth it because you're freeing yourself up to do other things that can keep the creative ball rolling and you're not weighing yourself down on little things yeah, over trying. here that, yep. that don't really help the process. Before we move on, I got a question just because I myself am biracial. My, my mom is white. My dad is indigenous and it's been my observation in Canadian culture. When you're indigenous, it doesn't matter if you're from another race as well. You pretty much become indigenous in this country, right? Like, and it's because we have a strong community and everything else, but it's also because the systemic structures are set up that way. Like they give you, a number and they do all these things to you know make you identify as indigenous my question is your your father's passed away but have you been able to explore the ethiopian side of your heritage at all at all and is that something that you want to do in the future like go to ethiopia and maybe explore that a little bit absolutely it's uh um <laughs> it's really funny you said it like that because somebody messaged me and they were just like, hey, I want you to join the Black Chamber of Commerce. And I'm like, I'm down, but I'm so busy being native right now. I'm like, next month, I have more time yeah. for my life. <laughs> I don't have time to be from two groups here, okay? <laughs> so you're like, it is so important. Um, like, my dad's ashes have to go back to Ethiopia. I don't even know what the beliefs, like, you know how our belief system in Cree is embedded in our language? I don't know what that means for my African side, right? But they're both so important to me. One person told me they're like, you've got your tattoo on the left. They're just like, you need a lion on your arm. They're just like, when you're in balance, you're going to be able to tap into that in a greater way. But they said it makes sense that your indigeneity resonates with you because we're on Turtle Island. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's so crucial. And don't get me wrong. Like, I love Injera. I love our culture. I've got a lot of Ethiopian friends. I could tell you a yeah. lot about Ethiopian coffee. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's important because coffee is an important thing to be to be aware of. But no, like I always wondered because you know, even as Indigenous people, we're always we're always in this journey. Oh, sorry, <laughs> we're always in this journey to discover where we came from or find our path back to culture. Now, being in your situation, you've got double the job. You know, you know what I mean? Like by them tearing you away from your family, you not only lost your indigenous culture, but you lost any connection that you had to your Ethiopian culture. And, you know, that's, it's powerful to see you on your journey. And I just respect what you've been doing. So, you know, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And I want to, I want to raise one point. 
you're exactly right uh, about Ethiopia. And what I will say is that shit's not cheap, son. Like that's another reason why I'm in business. I'm like, yeah. like, to get to Ethiopia, to do that. Um, yeah. I've deliberately made good Ethiopian friends and relatives here in here in uh, Calgary. Yeah. Um, and now they've been, it's gone to the point where they've invited me. They're like, when you come to Ethiopia, you know, our home will help you with the language. But these That's relationships awesome. have taken years to develop and and uh, years of healthy, or at least aspiring deadly uncleness. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey. So I just got one more question before we let you go. We're kind of asking all the guests. Um, so I wanted to ask you about uh, places for Indigenous people to pray in every major city across, you know, Turtle Island, uh, kind of like a church or a mosque. You know, something other than a friendship center. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think it's important that we have those uh, places for Indigenous people, finally, if we do? <laughs> and um, um, I'm going to give you the answer that I just came to yesterday. And I'm not taking it for myself. This came from Michelle Robinson of Native Calgary YYC. And... What she shout was out Michelle, yeah. Shout out Michelle. Shout out Michelle. Tapway. It was good sharing uh, that sacred fire with you. Um, and like uh, my thoughts are to be like, yeah, like these natural spots for sure. Like these are my spots. But I really like what Michelle reminded me of, and she was like, our people, everybody had a fire. Every family had a fire. And so perhaps it's something about being more vulnerable to opening up like our homes and spaces when we can. So friends can come pray with us and we can pray together like as a family unit. And there was just something really warm about that, that just hits me. So maybe that place is, is our relatives or is our friends. And if we don't have those people, um, then looking to community for that type of support. Cause that's the native way. Like don't tell anyone, but I don't lock my door. <laughs> what's your address bro <laughs> we heard you're doing good yeah. <laughs> uh, you can it. We, uh, we're looking for investors for season two yeah. by the way <laughs> let's talk then though but, yeah. but you, you like that too right about bringing the the home fire in our own homes right yeah, no, I, I definitely, you know, and, and that's that's us as our mentality as Indigenous people is is feeling like we have to go out into the land to be able to have these these things. But I think that the land is in Calgary. The land is in Edmonton. You know, there is there is places uh, uh, that are you know, that we can do these things. And I think it's important that it's time for us to have a space. You know, it's time for us to have a safe space inside every major city across this country. Just like people have mosques where it's a safe space to pray. And I think that we need them inside of our city limits because a lot of people can't make it out to to, to to the land a lot of people and even when you think about um uh having an awake for somebody like my cousin diane she had so many friends in calgary that couldn't come to saskatchewan when we when we brought her body to saskatchewan but we don't have those places like that even just having a wake for somebody who passed away but 
might be from a different community for all her friends or family or those people. So I just think that I really hope that, uh, and, and I know that uh, Regina is starting to look at the, look at a place and also Red Deer. Yeah. Um, Red and, Deer has a place where they're going to have a sweat lodge that's located on land right next to the river in, in kind of in the industrial area, but they also have a, a, an apartment complex there and they've got a big open space where the friendship center does events and stuff like that. So yeah, they're, they're moving towards that for sure. Yeah. I hope to see it. I hope to see more of it. Yeah. It's time for us to take our space, you know, for sure. And I think we have that in every major city. Yeah. Awesome. No, it was great meeting you and, you know, just hearing your story, everybody's story is so powerful like kurt has a song called this is my story well it's true about all of us like we all have we all have a story to tell and i'm just glad that you took the time to share yours with us yeah you are definitely a deadly uncle (laughs) and uh for that reason clients always ask me they're just like this has been amazing thank you so much but like now i'm leaving what is how do i live in a good way And I tell them, I'm like, well, this good way you speak of, the good way is the Cree way. And for that way, I say, and for that reason, I say, tap way, exit. (laughs) Thank you, my brothers, my relatives. Kurt, um, all of this is super good. I don't even think, like, I know you do your stuff, like, so tight. I don't even think you need to send me anything. Just take this content, work your magic. You know where to find me. For sure. You know, we thank you for being on and sharing your story you know, I think that a lot of men are going to um, relate to what, you, and not only men, just people, you know, because this is open for people. But because of the lack of programming that we have for men, we wanted to fo- focus on our on our males for this. So uh, thank you so much for being on here. You are our last guest. This is the wrap season of season one. Hey. Thank you so much, and uh, we really appreciate the work that you're doing. And we're going to be in contact with you for some of those uh, business of those ideas business, because I yeah. actually just incorporated, so I could definitely use some tips for sure. So perfect, you guys are in. Call me anytime. Love you so much. All right, much. brother. Great work. Hey, See you later, man. Hi, hi. Thanks so much. You're listening to the Deadly Uncle Podcast, a safe space for Deadly Uncle conversations.